This is the Inflection AI Podcast, and I'm James Newen. Welcome back, everyone. So in today's episode, we have Paul McLaughlin, who is the head of data science and the principal data science at Ericsson's Global AI Accelerator. So Paul's Paul's a great guest. I just had a lot of fun talking to him about everything that's related to 5G, its introduction and its relationship with AI. And I like this conversation because, you know, 5G, similar to other topics in artificial intelligence or under the umbrella of AI, gets a lot of attention now, Uh, but it's not necessarily always explained in a way that's very accessible, also very practical, but also mixes in a lot of deep insights. And I feel like those are really apt characterizations of the conversation we're about to listen to. So we start off at the very start talking about AI and 5G in telcos, just given Ericsson's position in that industry, but it very quickly evolves into a conversation about all things um, 5G in Uh, introduction and implementation so you know at a very high level 5g is the improvement of internet speed and so this is going to uh, change the way in which we transfer data so if we have a faster internet speed in very rudimentary ways of explaining it paul's going to do a much better job than me uh, in the episode you're about to listen to but if we have faster internet speed we're able to process more data and what are the implications when we can process a whole lot more data while we're collecting different sorts of data that previously may have been prohibitive just given um, how large those file sizes are so paul talks us through how this will inevitably lead to a transition towards more real-time data is what he terms it in the conversation and that just really means uh, a distinction for us to make about whether it's you know sensors picking up data in real time whether it's transactions for banks and credit cards picking up data in real time being able to make sense of that uh, a lot faster than making sense of say historical data when we're looking at it retrospectively after you know one month data that's been collected one month ago and then try to make sense of it now with 5g implementation we can make sense of it on the spot or in real time. So that's a big trend that Paul really foresees coming in uh, in a very material way moving forwards. But then he also discusses applications like extended reality, which is the umbrella under which augmented reality and virtual reality sit. He talks about uh, potential applications for automated vehicles and autonomous vehicles where the actual cars are going to be able to speak with phones, phones that are um, 5G compatible, able to have conversations in essence with the cars to notify them of a pedestrian who may be close. These are the sorts of things that we're going to see with 5G and Paul runs us through all of them. And true to all the other episodes on our podcast, what we're also going to see is for business owners, for C-suite executives, for industries moving forwards, what does 5G mean in terms of actually building your business for the future? So we're going to jump right into the conversation now and let Paul do the rest of the talking. Everyone, this is Paul McLaughlin from Ericsson. If you could give the listeners an idea of you know your background in the space, um, and your current involvement in, in AI in general? Sure. So I am principal data scientist, or my name is Paul McLaughlin. I'm principal data scientist at Ericsson's Global Artificial Intelligence Accelerator. And we're a team of 300 plus people with offices in San Francisco, Santa Clara, Montreal, Stockholm, Bangalore, and Chennai. So we're a hugely global team. But we were created a year and a half ago under the auspices of Erica Kuden, Ericsson's global CTO, to really make sure that we are building 
AI for telco and AI that can run on top of 5G because 5G is going to be the most important innovation platform uh, we've ever seen, we believe. Yeah, fantastic. You know, we hear a lot about AI across industries, right? Whether we're talking about retail, we're talking about finance, you just mentioned there AI for telco. Um, what, what does that actually entail? Yeah, I, I didn't know that myself. So I actually came from advertising before joining Ericsson. So I've actually had a lot of learning to do in terms of telco. And it's a really, really incredibly intricate, rich domain with an incredible amount of subject matter expertise. So one of the things that's really cool about Gaia, we're part of the 20,000 plus person Ericsson R&D team around the world. And so we get to benefit from the incredible subject matter expertise for telco that lives inside of Ericsson because we're really the world's leading company for telco. But in terms of AI for telco, uh, I think there's a huge number of applications and lots of, of questions we can answer in that. So we are trying to do things like optimizing networks. So where do we put towers? Where do we put beams? How do we uh, position different uh, cells within a given room or facility so that all customers get the right coverage. How do we have different profiles that are optimized for different towers? So is this a tower that has a mm -hmm. lot of uh, video traffic? Is this a tower that has uh, a lot of, of cloud traffic? And then we start to go to applications around things like edge computing, where we'll be putting computer uh, computing power for algorithms at the edge of mobile networks close to consumers. Where do we put those? What kinds of traffic do we forecast on those? It's really such a huge domain. It's such a huge question that we've invested a lot of resources in building out this team to, uh, to be able to answer questions like that and tackle them directly. Even when you hear about the position of towers and um, ultimately you, you'd be working on latency in terms of the responsiveness of the actual experience for consumers, you know, what, what's the lowest hanging fruit um, in terms of the pain points you're seeing in telco? Because that's what we hear a lot from um, our guests here is, you know, you have to solve a, a material business problem with AI. You know, where, where are the most, uh, most painful um, points for, for telco you'd see? Oh, I mean, that's a really good question. I think probably the biggest uh, opportunity that I see personally for AI and telco is really around the transition from 4G to 5G. So that's what we are focused mm -hmm. on as a company, so we're focused on as an industry. And it's what I think we're most excited about because of the speed and latency that 5G brings to AI. But I think in terms mm -hmm. of specific use cases, you know, the real big question is how do we make sure that our network is optimized for the incredible amount of traffic growth that we forecast. So Ericsson right now handles 50% of all of the world's mobile data in a given moment. But we forecast that that amount of data That's is going to grow. <laughs> yeah, it's an incredible amount, but we forecast it's going to grow exponentially with 5G. So if you think of the connected future with uh, your phone and your connected smart car, and your connected smart city and your connected factory, all of those devices are going to be producing data. And we forecast uh, in our latest industry report that we'll have 4 billion sensors installed around the world in the next two years. So if you just think of each of those devices producing data, the growth is incredible. So we need to be able to manage that data. We need to have towers that can handle that data. We need infrastructure that can handle that data. And we need algorithms that can help us and AI that can help us uh, manage all of those questions. And it's only going to grow and get, uh, essentially grow in complexity as our network and what is done in the network grows. Uh, and it's really exciting. 
let's even drill down into that because 5G is a topic that's, you know, I would say over the last few years has started to, to gain a lot of momentum, whether it's from the media playing out, you know, what's possible probably fits under a similar umbrella as AI um, in terms of, you know, the, the best case uh, scenarios. Can you walk the listeners through, even walk me through, right? The foundations of 5G. If you had to explain it hypothetically to uh, a five-year-old, how would you explain 5G? What's possible with 5G? You know, the mechanics of how it works, you know, without getting too technical. Yeah, for sure. So I think the two key points to take away around 5G are speed and latency. And so speed mm -hmm. is fairly intuitive. Just how much data can you send up and down? And latency is how fast does it take to get a reaction? But I think both of those things mm -hmm. have really important implications for AI, for data science, for a couple of different reasons. So right now, a lot of the things we do because our networks don't have sufficient latency to give reactions in real time. So if you, you know, are wearing XR glasses and you push a button and it takes you five seconds to get a reaction, that's not a great customer experience. But think of that in a self-driving car context where maybe five seconds is the difference between stopping at a stop sign or, or, or not. Um, and that is really important implication. So right now, a lot of the way products are designed, the computing is built inside of the device. In some ways, networks are not involved in all of the times when we see AI consumer applications because it's the latency is insufficient to process data in the cloud or in the edge. So we actually have a lot yeah. of of devices that are designed to handle computing locally. So if you wear XR glasses today, there's a lot of computing power inside of those glasses. If you have a car that has uh, smart self-driving self or has smart cruise control, there's a very powerful computer inside of the, the trunk of the car that's processing all of the data from sensors and not using the mobile network or, or maybe only for a couple of cases. But what that low latency does is allows a lot of that computing to be pushed into the cloud or into the edge environment. And so that's gonna have really important implications for physical form and design, because we foresee, for example, in XR, if you can process all of the data in the edge or in the cloud, then you might not actually need to have as powerful computer on the device. So we can see form factors and we envision form factors that will look like normal glasses going into the future. That means your phone might last quite a lot longer because the processing for video games you're playing or videos you're streaming is done in the edge or in the cloud rather than on the device. So that has really important implications for physical form. It also has implications for what we can do with data. So we're excited to start thinking about how we can run algorithms on real-time data rather than working with historical data. Mm. So just, just to go back a step in terms of... Um... In terms of the actual computing requirement in actual hardware now, would would I be accurate in uh, summarizing it essentially as outsourcing uh, that computing power? So if you don't have to do it locally on you know your device, whether it's your phone, whether it's um, XR glasses, if you're then doing it in the cloud or doing it in edge computing, which is facilitated when five G comes into comes into play you're able to, to build lighter systems. You're able to um, you know, change the actual hardware of these devices. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. So right now, a, a product designer has two choices. They can either process data uh, in the cloud or on the device. And if you process it in the mm. cloud, you actually have some, some challenges around latencies because the network might not be able to react in a time greater than a second or two. And so if you mm. have a, a use case where that latency is essential, you have to do the processing on the device. So right now for XR, 
you know, if you're playing a game and it takes you five seconds between you taking an action and getting a response, that's not a great customer experience. So designers have put a lot of account. Nobody likes lag. Nobody likes lag, right? And so, but that experience then means that designers have put a lot of the computation or compute power on the device itself. So, you know, if you have a cell phone, there's a lot of the physical space you're holding is designed to include very powerful computer chips. Uh, but maybe if we can, mm. if we don't have the challenge around latency, around reaction time, we can actually push a lot of the computation into the cloud or into the edge. And that's going to have some really cool implications for battery life, for physical factors, for physical forms, for weight, and also environmental impacts. Mm. Because right now, if you have a, a car with, with smart, you know, assisted driving, there's a very heavy computer in the trunk of your car. And that, you know, at, even if it weighs, a couple of pounds, it still has implications over time for energy efficiency, for fuel efficiency. Uh, And I think that has some really interesting uh, implications for fuel economy. So Paul and I then take the conversation in a slightly different direction and we go back and we start talking about real-time data. And an area in particular that Paul wants to explain real-time data through is extended reality. And for a little bit of context, if you haven't heard of extended reality, I'm sure you've heard of VR and AR, which is virtual reality and augmented reality. Well, extended reality is really the umbrella term under which those two areas uh, really fall. And so the main idea behind extended reality is, or what Paul will refer to as XR, is the idea that when we're interacting with our computers right now, we're typing with our fingers or with our thumbs on our phones, and it's really slowing down our processing power because we have to think about what we want to say, then we have to tell our hands to communicate it to the computer. Well, the idea of XR is we're taking out that intermediary layer being able to interact with our computers really with our cognitive capacity, thinking through things, just seeing our environment and seeing you know, a new virtual re- environment and being in- able to interact with it in that way, in a more natural way, is really the vision for XR. And uh, real-time data um, and the ability, once we actually start to move towards 5G, that a lot of the devices are going to be able to use real-time data. Can you explain what, what that means um, in layman's terms? Yeah, for sure. So a lot of the use cases that are envisioned uh, for 5G, for the fourth industrial revolution, really are predicated on the idea of being able to work with real-time data. So take, for example, XR, extended reality. If you're wearing XR glasses, it's actually a very complicated real-time problem. We need to know where your eyeballs are pointed. We need to know where you are physically in space. Uh, If we're playing a Mm -hmm. game together, we need to know not just where you are in space, but where the other people sharing that experience are in space in real time, where they're looking, what they're doing with objects. Because if any of that has any kind of lag, the experience is not going to feel seamless. It's not going to be exciting. And actually, it can cause even motion sickness if there's too much of a lag. Because if there's a gap between what where you are moving your body and where it's being projected, that can make people feel a little seasick. So with the low latency for 5G and the incredible speed, we can really start to work and think about how we work with data that is being generated in real time. So that's not just data that is processed in real time, but that's data that is uploaded as it is needed, processed, and then, uh, then dealt with. Even for even for the listeners um, who haven't had too much exposure around XR or extended reality, can can you explain the difference between you know augmented reality, virtual reality, and and therefore extended reality as well? If we have to consider real time data like the movement of our eyes or, or 
the, the areas in which our eyes are actually looking. Yeah, so I think the, the clearest way I've been able to understand it is virtual reality means you're in a whole new environment. Essentially, if you, mm. even if you're sitting in your office, if you look through glasses that are projecting in virtual reality, VR, essentially almost nothing that is in your real environment would be reflected in the glasses. Augmented reality is the idea is to really augment what you see. So to overlay uh, pieces of information on top of your actual natural field of vision. Uh, so that might be, for example, information about bus wait times or to even be reminded of someone's name if you're in a meeting and you can't remember. But the idea is we would need to work with visual data about what you are seeing, what you're seeing through your glasses, and then be able to process that data or the visual information such that we can overlay uh, content on top of it and have that feel natural and have it move with you as you move through space. Got it. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. You know, in, in terms of, I guess, the practical applications of not only XR, um, if we take a step back and start to think about 5G, um, you know, when we hear about AI, we hear about what's possible in five to 10 years, perhaps, but not as much attention gets um, focused on, you know, what's happening in a business right now in terms of, say, uh, reducing costs of operations or intelligent automation, things that have a real material use case for companies in the immediate term. What's the equivalent for 5G? If we think about the roadmap, what sort of innovations are being worked on right now, perhaps, that could have a material impact on a business in the next, say, 12 to 24 months? Oh, that's a fantastic question. So I'm part of an innovation team here at Gaia, and we have a number of co-creations and collaborations uh, with a number of industry partners throughout Silicon Valley and around the world. And that's something that we are really key and keen about because of the power of 5G as a platform for innovation. And so I've given you some mm -hmm. examples around working with real-time data for extended reality, but this is going to have implications for smart cities, for smart manufacturing, for logistics, really for every industry we can think of. Because if you have any, any data that's produced in real-time, 5G is going to allow you to apply algorithms to work with it in real-time. And so that is, I think, a fundamental difference between the world before 5G and the world after 5G, particularly for AI, is that ability to work with real-time data. And so many different mm. verticals work with historical data or have gathered data and then apply algorithms. And this has also led to kind of a, an arms race among AI researchers and companies to develop the smartest, most sophisticated algorithm to work with historical data. But part of what we're also thinking about here at Gaia is how can we build algorithms that are as responsive as our networks are going to be because we think the quality of data will be better in real time. We think the types of insights and use cases for AI are going to be faster in real time. And it's a really exciting time to, to work with AI at Ericsson because of us being on the forefront of that 5G innovation wave. Mm. You know, for, for um, as a practical example, you, you mentioned a couple of industries before manufacturing, um, uh, you talked about Excel uh, just a little while ago as well. For, for a business, what does that actually mean? So when we're thinking about, um, if we let's just take the manufacturing business, when they're implementing sensors, um, things that fall under the umbrella of Internet of Things, being able to pick up data in real time around their environment, you know, is that what you're alluding to when you're talking about real-time data um, and how that 
has implications on the business? Like, what does it actually mean for a, uh, a CEO who's listening to this episode right now or a founder who's thinking about a company um, in, in, say, the manufacturing space or really pick any industry? Um, how, how does that actually manifest in terms of a business use case? Oh, I think that's a really good question. So you can think of, I mean, so many different layers of manifestation. So even, for example, being able to have a sensor on a tool part to be able to locate mm. it on a shop floor. So one of the big challenges right now is just knowing where equipment That's is. Right, so if you yeah. think of you know, a movie set even where there's just costumes and, and cameras and videos and lights and filters that go all over the place because it's, you know, people are trying to do their best in a crowd environment. We, for example, help you locate and manage all of your inventory. For a factory where you're really dependent upon logistics and pieces arriving in time, we can actually do smart ordering. So all of, essentially all of your logistics are taken care of and track orders as they're moving, particularly in the interconnected world where a lot of the parts may be coming from hundreds of different factories. We can keep track of each bolt and wing nut uh, using sensors as it moves into the factory. We can then manage data that is worked on in terms of uh, the machines themselves and equipment around maintenance, around precision. Uh, so just the, the possibilities there are are endless. And frankly, part of what we're excited about with Gaia and our innovation team is to learn how Ericsson can support more of these use cases. So, you know, if this sounds like it's relevant to your business, I'd love to talk to you as well because, you know, we are trying to make sure that we can use this platform to the best of our ability and really solve uh, problems for our partners around the world. Sure. When, when you start to talk about a couple of those use cases there, Paul, whether it's asset maintenance or, you know, the, the um, being able to track the real-time, um, I guess the real-time position or the real-time inventory levels, you know, that, that definitely gets my brain starting to think around the different AI applications that um, we, we've spoken about before um, on, on this podcast, whether it's around um, being able to predict uh, maintenance schedules for uh, asset classes or being able to um, yeah being able to automatically uh, fulfill inventory and keep it at a specific level can you explain the relationship therefore between I guess real-time data uh, 5g and AI absolutely I mean I would say for example to go back to the movie set uh, idea right now if we had sensors embedded in equipment so let's say you had a very expensive video camera and you had a sensor embedded in it with current location accuracy, we might know where that camera is within plus or minus 100 meters. Uh, so that you know maybe that's easy if you're a pretty large piece of equipment, but if you're trying to find you know a wrench or a bolt uh, or a much smaller piece of equipment mm. like a, a computer, that can be a problem. But 5G is going to have location accuracy of of in current standards around a meter or so plus or minus. So we'll be able to locate uh, things in real time that are embedded with sensors. And we'll also have the ability to have private networks as well. So if you're concerned about uh, data privacy, we can make sure that as part of Ericsson that your factory is covered by a network that is only accessible to you and devices that are registered to that network. So your, your data will never you know, leave the environment. Privacy is something we take very, very as core to our business here at, at Ericsson. Uh, but in terms of the real-time data, I think the ability to understand where, where, where pieces of equipment are in real-time and to be able to get insights so that you are, have orders come in, you're doing inventory management, you're doing logistics management in real time rather than in a lagged environment. It's going to be really critical for a lot of the smart manufacturing and, and smart city applications we envisage. 
Got it. That makes sense. Like as I'm even starting to play these out, right? This is probably more of a consumer application, but if you're able to uh, get a granularity in the radius of say one, one meter, um, when, when it's particular bolts have sensors on them or really any, any physical item has sensors on, I'm thinking the equivalent of say a household. Um, if you misplace something, is there a future that you potentially foresee? Now we're getting potentially, uh, into, um, a, a prediction and, and in terms of just playing out where technology can take us. But if you're thinking about a household, perhaps even if you're looking for specific uh, items in your household, is this, you know, a potential use case in terms of trying to locate a phone or, or locate uh, another device um, where you can start to see maybe a virtual map of your entire house? Is, is this a potential application um, that we're, we're seeing from uh, this sort of real-time data? Yes. I mean, I'd even like to push further than that. One of the real challenges around self-driving cars is that not every car is going to be smart that's on the road. But for example, if you had a sensor embedded in your 5G connected phone that was able to speak to cars to say, I'm a pedestrian, uh, I'm going to tell you where I am so that you're mm. able to slow down as I, as I enter a, a pedestrian crossing before you can even see me, or I'm actually going to be uh, heading out as a pedestrian crossing, or I'm a biker, uh, you can actually have this vehicle to, we see a B to X, but vehicle to everything type of communication where if things know where they are, they can actually start to alert some of these systems so that everyone is safe. Similarly, if you're an ambulance, you can, for example, uh, tell other vehicles to automatically pull over or stop uh, or not go through intersections uh, because they know where they are and we can build really uh, interesting predictions around movement towards hospitals and the like. Start to, um, you know, at a very high level, start to see how in whether it's five, 10, 20 years, you start to play out a city or an ecosystem where all of our electronics, all of, um, all of our devices are speaking to each other. Um, and, you know, ideally the situation is they're speaking to each other for the better, right? Um, but if we just take a step back and start to think about it from a business's perspective, anybody listening to this episode can start to, to see a use case of, say, um, a smart car speaking uh, to a pedestrian's uh, smartphone and understanding not to, um, you know, to slow down as they approach that pedestrian. But if you're not in the, the smart car um, or autonomous vehicle, say industry, and you're just a company, whether it's in manufacturing, whether it's in finance, whether it's in, you know, even telcos, as you mentioned before, you know, what, what should these sorts of businesses be considering um, as they hear more about 5G and as uh, the, the technology begins to mature and accelerate? Oh, I mean, I think that's a really great question. I would be really interested around making sure that their algorithms are able to handle real-time data and real-time use cases. So as I mentioned before in the past, a lot of our focus right now is on trying to extract, and, I, and by our, I mean people who work in AI, AI research teams, AI development teams, our emphasis has really been on trying to build incredibly powerful algorithms to extract value, extract predictive meaning from very noisy, very complicated, and very dirty data. Mm -hmm. So if we're working with data that is not in real time, it can often be out of date, it can be uh, inaccurate. And so we, we have built very complicated algorithms to try to work with those and still find essentially uh, meaning and signal in all of this noise. But my view is that with the real time data, the data itself will be much in a much cleaner format, be much more relevant because it's describing what is happening now rather than what happened five years ago. Mm. And so we can build much lighter algorithms. So this has implications in terms of uh, the amount of, of cloud computing cost we might see for, for renting GPUs. 
and those implications in terms of the types of work we might need to do for AI and AI research. And it has implications in terms of what we think can be done with data because so much of uh, what we do right now is uh, working with historical data. So I think businesses need to be really aware that we'll see this growth in real-time data and the companies that are going, to, are going to succeed in this 5G future are ones that have a very clear vision for how to work with real-time data uh, instead of, uh, in addition to historical data, uh, versus not being prepared to work with real-time data. How, how do you prepare yourself as a business, right? Because you know, I, I love what you're saying, Paul, and it definitely makes sense to me. But you know, from a lot of experience with our clients and, and just speaking to a lot of organizations, you know, they're right now grappling with this idea of, okay, we have to you know, we have to understand historical data right now, right? They're probably in a similar spot trying to infer um, and try to make sense of sometimes quite noisy data, sometimes irrelevant data, you know, sometimes data that's not not clean and not well structured. And so right now, you know, I, I, I'm putting myself in, in the, the headspace of a lot of the listeners and they're trying to get their head around, you know, making sense of the data they already have um, and trying to, to capture that. You know, before you mentioned the idea of, okay, how would you prepare yourself for 5G? Make sure that your um, your algorithms are sufficient or mature enough to deal with real data. Now, how do how do they even go about that in the first place? How, what what is um I guess what is the gateway, um, if you will, into you know real time data? How how does a company start thinking about that or even get initial exposure to it? They come uh, and chat with us here at Ericsson, and we can help them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> You know, but beyond that, I think that's a really great question in the sense that uh, you're right. So much of people who are on the AI journey today are still thinking through, well, I have, you know, these piles of data that I've collected. And how do I start to find insight? How do I start to find meaning in them? And if you add on another challenge of working with real-time data, you know, that can be really scary. And what I would suggest in that case is that we actually think of ways that those two different types of data can be combined together mm. for different use cases. So for example, if you're thinking of, if you're a credit card company or a financial company, you're trying to predict fraud, mm -hmm. it's probably much better to work with real-time data than historical data. But if you're trying to get insights around trends and changes in consumer spending, say you're a consumer insight company or a consultant, then we probably are much more drawn towards historical data. So I think it really has to come from a use case uh, question first approach rather than a data first approach because I would argue that we'll have historical data and we'll have real-time data to work with and what has been lacking today is that real-time yeah, when, when you speak about the um, I guess the relationship between historic data and real-time data you know what, what, when we're thinking about uh, machine learning when we're thinking about um, predictive models powered by AI we think about how do we start to recognize patterns from past data and from that, I'm assuming that you're able to build predictive models that are able to make sense of real-time data. Is, is, is that an accurate, um, is that an accurate uh, lens through which I'm looking? Like, do you need historic data to actually get a company or an algorithm to a point where they can actually make sense of real-time data? Because real-time data in and of itself, you know, doesn't really have any meaning to a company if they don't know, um, you know, how to look at it or how to make sense of it. Yes, I think that's a really good way of, of articulating it. I think you need both. So I would never say that uh, we'll never have use cases for historical data. But what I think we haven't really had the chance with until 5G is the ability to work with real-time data. Mm. Uh, it's only We've actually had a lot of real-time uh, oriented use cases that we're trying to shoehorn historical data into. And what I think 
uh, I want people to take away from this conversation is that with 5G coming, we'll actually have ability to work with real-time data. And right now, uh, in some cases, we haven't seen those data. As I mentioned earlier, we've essentially shortcut uh, that data. So we've worked with it on device uh, and it's never been able to be, to be accessible for AI algorithms. Uh, so if we have uh, XR glasses today, we have real-time data. We just don't really get to work with it systematically. It's always being processed on the device. If you have a car with smart self-driving, you're working with real-time data. Mm. You just, uh, companies haven't really gotten to see very much of it. Uh, but I think what will be really exciting around 5G is we'll actually be able to, as AI experts, as product owners, as executives, really think through what is best for my use case, what is best for my product, rather than having to be limited by network coverage in the first case or limitations around uh, speed or latency in the second case. Mm-hmm. You know, what's happening right now um, for a, a business problem with telecommunications that's happening with say 4G technology um, for a lack of a better term there um, uh, in the landscape right now under the status quo and what AI can do and then you know, how 5G would actually change that. Let's, let's pick that as an example. Uh, I think that one of the use cases that people use today is around trying to do inventory tracking on a shop floor and then have ordering for new parts or insights around uh, wear and tear. And I think there's obviously an incredible amount of data that is generated and processed and often even within a couple of seconds. But I think the difference uh, what I'm articulating is between processing data maybe every 10 or 20 seconds or every minute or two and processing it every couple of milliseconds. So for example, one of the differences there could be uh, insights around where people are on the shop floor. So if you have uh, two pieces of equipment that are going to collide, we can detect that within a millisecond and stop the the vehicle from colliding. If you think of safety, uh, we might, for example, be able to predict Mm. within one or two milliseconds that two, that uh, a equipment arm is going to hit a a factory worker. And so be able to stop that piece of equipment uh, in that kind of reaction time. Whereas if you had five or 10 seconds, it's just not enough time to stop the equipment uh, from hitting the person. So I think that we do not know uh, the scope of the possible because it is such a tremendous change. But if you just think of the difference between going from five seconds to five milliseconds, that's the difference between being able to stop a crane in time or a stop mm-hmm. a, a cherry picker in time from hitting someone or hitting a piece of equipment and having it stop uh, in enough time. So that's, I think, the real difference to think about is just what could those extra five seconds bring uh, to, to manufacturing different use cases? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think in a lot of ways, um, we don't know what we don't know yet. Uh, and as this technology begins to mature, um, we're going to see use cases that uh, haven't been thought of right now. Um, so, you know, that that makes a lot of sense. And, and in, probably in a similar way to AI, um, the best way for companies to think about this is really just to educate themselves on what is possible with 5G, um, the applications for it and, and um, you know, where, where the direction of the technology is heading because then specific to industries, that's where um, innovation can come from. W- would you agree with that, Paul? I absolutely would. I think that if you, if you ask people what would they do with extra five seconds in data, there are so many possibilities that we at Ericsson can't think of but we're excited to be able to help uh, 
companies understand, understand the 5G technology and really think through how to innovate. That's why we have this team. That's why we're headquartered in Santa Clara, but have a global reach. Uh, so Gaia, the team I'm a part of is now over 300 AI experts and data scientists. So we are really equipped to tackle these types of questions for telco, for our customers of Ericsson, for uh, different industries and verticals. We have a whole IoT team inside of Ericsson who are truly the best and brightest in the world, I would argue. And so we can answer these questions and we are trying to understand them ourselves. We're so excited by where we're going with this technology, uh, but there's no way we can we can foresee every use case. That's why we want to you know, have these kinds of conversations because it's it's how we learn. It's how we help support our customers. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, just in line with the idea of education, um, we speak a lot about what is possible. You know, this potentially may help a lot of our listeners as well. What is one of the biggest or what are a couple of the biggest misconceptions about 5G? You know, what, what are the boundaries um, that people like to think 5G can break, but the technology, um, how we see it right now, it isn't quite possible? What are the limitations of 5G? It's actually geographic coverage. So one of the challenges that we have seen as an industry is that not every country is in the same place on their 5G journey. So when we talk about some of these really exciting opportunities, we're talking about them in markets that have had 5G spectrum auctions. We're talking about them in markets where mobile operators have 5G rollout plans. And that's not every market around the world. So what we're actually quite concerned about is uneven access to this technology, to this innovation platform. And mm -hmm. I would say it's actually the biggest challenge we really see is making sure that uh, that we have equal access to 5G and that we see this technology adopted around the world because it's it's going to have competitive impacts for markets that don't have 5G or haven't had 5G, 5G rollout yet. What's the biggest impediment to, um, I guess, making 5G accessible? I, I mean, that's, a, that's a, a government and politics question. So it's around having a 5G spectrum auction, but I, I wouldn't be able to speak to why certain countries have had those uh, yet or not. Yeah, that makes, that makes complete sense. From, from a technical point of view or an infrastructure point of view, yeah, is there any specific impediments I, I, I'm all meant? So one of the biggest challenges around 5G and where we'll see the best improvements in latency and speed is when we use what's called millimeter wave. So these are very, very, very small frequency radio waves that unfortunately can be blocked by quite a lot of, of interference. So if we think of mm. leaves and we think of glass, those can block millimeter waves. So one of the real challenges we have is making sure when we have a millimeter wave network that we have full and perfect coverage. So we have an Ericsson radio system that is really designed to handle all of these kinds of, of physical factors and physical blockers. We have a whole AI team working on network optimization and network rollout problems so we can incorporate things like information around material and obstruction and environment but that's a real mm. challenge in terms of the infrastructure itself it's one we have put a significant investment in r d and product design into solving got it that makes sense and that and that really flows into you know what you're speaking about before in terms of um geographic reach and, and just accessibility overall you know the idea of that 5g um will just uh, and I, I guess i'm quite intentional with the word just come in um there's a lot that has to happen in the background for uh you know 5g coverage to be reliable to be consistent um to maintain that low latency uh, that it's capable of so um that makes a lot of sense 
Um, we're coming to the end of the episode, Paul, um, and I want to be considerate of your time. So before, before we let you go, um, I would love to ask you the three lightning round questions that we ask all of our guests, if you're ready for it. Oh, sure. I'm ready. Okay, perfect. So the first one is, what is the biggest impact use of AI and 5G you've seen in the real world right now? XR. Okay, fantastic. What area of AI slash 5G do you think will grow the most in the next 24 months? Smart manufacturing, smart logistics, the ability to track uh, equipment and get insights in real time, I think is going to be a real game changer for the industry. Phenomenal. Okay. And the last one is, what would you say to a business that's looking to implement AI slash 5G for the very first time? Be really mindful of the data sources that you work with. Uh, because uh, your AI is only as good as the data is trained with. And that really requires subject matter expertise to go along with the AI expertise. Yeah, fantastic. You know, even just a, a flow on or a bonus question, I guess, uh, for the listeners from now. Oh, I get four you know, questions. <laughs> yeah, you get you get four. You know, we, we love your answers that much, Paul. Um, no, but I, I think it would be really interesting, you know, when, when you're talking about the talent, when you're talking about um, finding the right uh, whether it's the data science talent, um, finding the right uh, capabilities to really implement um, AI or 5G. You know, what would you say to a company that's uh, looking to find that talent, looking to attract that talent? Um, how, how would they go about uh, doing that? I think a really key and almost underutilized role is having someone who can articulate and be very good at communicating between the subject matter experts and the data scientists or AI experts. So that means having someone who really wants to understand both the AI and data science and someone who really wants to understand the domain, the companies, in, so that both sides are always talking to each other uh, with the best and most articulate language. And I think that's actually really critical because otherwise you can talk past one another or not really have solutions that uh, are in line with what the business needs. Uh, and I think that that's a real key person to find uh, in any company. I think that people don't have those necessarily on their roadmap. And uh, we've had so many people inside of Ericsson uh, who have helped all of our, our team, our AI team, develop subject matter expertise. And that's really made a key difference for us. Fantastic. It sounds like Ericsson, uh, at the very least, has found one phenomenal uh, uh, spokesperson that, that sits in that nice intersection between the technical and being able to communicate that to the high level in yourself, Paul. Um, thank you very much for joining Inflection AI. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, is there anything else that you, you want the listeners to, to know before uh, we wrap this one up? No, I'm, I'm just glad we're not doing this in extended reality because then you'd see me blush. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And that's an introduction into 5G, everyone. So you heard it here first. The applications where we're seeing 5G really make a material impact right now is extended reality. You know, your virtual reality, your augmented reality, and the ability to process so much more information through those mediums right now. But as we continue to develop and mature this technology, we're going to see those adjacent industries really, really start to spread out in terms of where we can see a use case. So, you know, Paul's seeing it in smart manufacturing, but really it comes down to the question of what can we do with five extra seconds of decision making, right? So 4G technology, as Paul was alluding to, the transition from that to 5G is being able to make decisions a little bit faster with different sort of data. 
and that's how we have to think about it moving forward so you you, you see it from you know 5g phones or 5g laptops in the media but really we got to think about okay if we can collect more data larger amounts of data and we can process it a whole lot faster what are the sorts of decisions that we ourselves can make moving forwards but also our organizations can make moving forwards as well so that's this episode with paul mclaughlin from ericsson i'm james newen this is the inflection ai podcast if you want to get in touch you want to hear more from from us if you want to make any recommendations for the sorts of industries we should focus on the sorts of guests that we should have we're always working really hard to make sure that we have the smartest minds on this podcast that we can find um, to really disseminate and democratize the access to ai and the knowledge of ai so get in touch with inflection ai if you're looking to understand artificial intelligence in your organization a little bit more or if you just want to pop in and say hello so that is the inflection ai podcast and i'll see everybody on the next episode